Good morning, Saints of Advent. Today is the fourth Sunday of Easter, May 3rd, 2020, the year of our Lord. Uh, the Latin term for this Sunday is jubilate, uh, which simply means joy, singing, jubilation, hubilation. Uh, and so we talked this morning in the divine service about where our true joy is found in the midst of sorrow. And that, of course, is through Jesus Christ, our Lord, uh, and everything that God the Father has done uh, through him, along with the Holy Spirit, he who richly continues to give us good things. Uh, pray you and your families are doing well. We haven't heard that anybody in the congregation uh, is sick or in distress in any way. We have had a few uh, deaths this week, so pay attention on your email that comes out each week. Note that on Sunday morning, we don't use the full names of people in the prayers for privacy issues, okay? So when we stream everything online, we're just using first names. The email that goes to you that is only for the congregation will have more of that detail in it, okay? Uh, so please uh, keep those families in your prayers that are mourning uh, loved ones and looking forward to the hope of the resurrection as we all should be. No doubt as well, some of you have a lot of questions about what the plans are going to be for reopening the church. Friday afternoon, Governor Holcomb uh, announced uh, the process for reopening Indiana, five-stage process, uh, currently in stage one, moving now into stage two. Um, my humble opinion, I, I think the state of Indiana did a really good job with this, um, and i personally really impressed with it. You might have a different opinion, uh, but uh, keep in mind as a church that I, I do not believe that we as churches are being persecuted for our faith. Uh, first and foremost, all the restrictions affect everybody of all, of all faiths, and what's taken place has been uh, to serve our neighbor. Uh, we are also called to honor, respect, and love our authorities, um, and even if we feel that something is unjust, we're called to continue to do good uh, and to speak well of them. So uh, read your scripture. Uh, let us be good, upstanding citizens and also people of faith in the midst of this. What will happen at Advent moving forward? That's probably the foremost question on your mind. I've already had a meeting yesterday uh, with uh, some of our senior leadership team here at Advent. Uh, Monday evening, we'll be having an elders meeting um, along with the chairman of our congregation and we're gonna nail down kind of the specifics of what that's gonna look like. I do wanna review just a little bit because there is some misunderstanding by the general public about what is recommended and what is allowed, okay? According to uh, the, the documents released by the state of Indiana, um, churches now starting next weekend, Mother's Day, are able to reopen. Uh, if you read that specifically on the website, it says that those services uh, are that such as weddings, funerals, and that sort of thing. Um, keep in mind that starting next weekend, or actually starting this week, social gatherings are, are bumped from 10 up to 25, okay? So while we might have freedom as a church to just open our doors wide open and have 300 people here on Sunday and claim our religious liberty and freedom, the rest of the state of Indiana is under a 25 limit for social gatherings. Um, and so I want you to make sure you understand what's being uh, asked of the churches to follow the guidelines and to slowly reopen along with the rest of the state. Pray for us as leaders. We'll be discussing that this week. Um, I do want to let you know that Wednesday evening of this week at 7 o'clock p.m., um, I will be here at this place 
doing a live stream to you as a congregation. Um, plan on having other leaders in the congregation here, Mr. Steve Boatman, our head elder, Mr. Chuck Long, um, our chairman, and of course, Pastor Grady. And uh, we will then Wednesday night at 7 o'clock uh, unveil kind of the plan uh, for reopening Advent, okay? Um, I'm just going to nip it in the bud right now and tell you that I do not see us opening our doors completely this coming Sunday on Mother's Day. I wish we could. I would, I would love for that, to have all of you, 300 people, streaming through these doors and gathered together. Um, but uh, I, I doubt that's going to happen. So um, we'll get together with our leadership, and we'll make those final decisions and get that out to you. Also, Wednesday night at 7 o'clock, when we unveil that plan for moving forward, we will use the comment and chat section, much like we're doing for Bible study. So if you have questions, you have comments, you have concerns, you can write in on the chat, uh, and we will answer those at that point, okay? And then Thursday morning, everybody should have an email in their inbox uh, detailing those strategies, and we'll get that up on the website, okay? Um, so be patient. It's coming. <laughs> we'll slowly be there. Um, according to the social distancing guidelines, next weekend would start at 25 people. May 24th would be 100 people. Uh, June 14th would be uh, 250 or less, and then July 4th would be over 250. So take a look at those state guidelines. That'll probably give you a little bit of an idea of where we'll be going as a church uh, to slowly reopen things, okay? Be patient and have no fear, little flock. Uh, the Lord is above all this. Um, last word of note, and I think I announced it last Sunday, Thanks to um, a very, well, a couple of very generous gifts, uh, we are moving forward with the purchase of cameras, uh, high-definition cameras, to be installed both, uh, one here in the fellowship hall, one in the library, and three in the sanctuary. Uh, those will be kind of back to the side, and, and that will allow us, once we have people back in the sanctuary, whether completely or in limited numbers, to continue to record and stream the services. Um, right now, we really can't record and stream the services and have people in the sanctuary at the same time because of all the cables and wires and that sort of thing, okay? So we're hoping that we'll have all the equipment we need by the end of this week, and then within that next week, everything will be installed and be working. Um, uh, keep in mind, once we open up, we are not going to be showing pictures of your face broadcast over YouTube, okay? It'll be much like you see right now on YouTube, just the pastors only, okay? We're not gonna show people taking communion um, or doing that sort of thing. So um, remember that the cameras are just a window into what's happening, okay? We're not doing this for production. We're not doing this for entertainment. This is to assist those that are having to stay at home or unable to come to church. And we anticipate that's going to continue possibly for the next 6 to 12 months in some way, shape, or form. Um, so that's where we're at with everything. Just know that we've been making plans and working very diligently on that. Um, thanks to my son, Matthias, uh, who's worked uh, quite a bit, as well as Phil Lehman, and making sure uh, what we give to you on Sunday morning is of good quality. Um, we've had a few little audio issues. We got hit by lightning a couple weeks ago. Um, and so we've, we've had to make some adjustments to that. We're also still working with some very inexpensive equipment. 
Um, so once we get our new equipment in, in, in place, I think you'll, you'll, you'll be even more impressed with both the audio and the image quality, okay? All right, um, trying to think of any other announcements um, to make. And I can't think of too much, any questions that are coming in. I'll take any questions about what I've said. I'm going to drink a little coffee and see if anything trickles in from any of you that are watching online right now. We'll give, we'll give them, they're waking up. They're probably having their coffee too. Schools, of course, uh, you know, we will not reopen here uh, as Advent Lutheran Preschool this year. Schools are pretty much shut down until June 30th, even the grounds of schools. So I'm not sure what that's going to do with graduations. Uh, keep all of our high school seniors in your prayers. We have one in our household as well. And this has been a really uh, strange year, uh, but, but the Lord will provide. No questions? Negative. Okay. Does that mean we're of like mind? I hope so. So, all right. The Lord be with you. Let us pray. O God, through the humiliation of your Son, you raised up the fallen world. Grant to your faithful people, rescued from the peril of everlasting death, perpetual gladness and eternal joys. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. And while I was praying, I, I, I did think of something else. Has that ever happened to you? You're, you're praying or you're doing something and something else pops in your head. So yeah, it happens to your crazy pastor. Something that I gave thanks to God for this past week, and, and, and that's all of you, um, especially as I saw this massive pile of donations in the narthex. Um, it took two truckloads. Uh, Pastor Grady, as well as the Silverbergs, drove up on Friday to Concordia Theological Seminary and dropped off all of the donations that we had there. We had cribs, recliners, uh, dryer, food, clothing, pots, pans, um, and uh, thank you, thank you very much for your generous uh, donations. Uh, that'll be a real blessing uh, for uh, the men and the families uh, up at Concordia Seminary. Okay? Nothing else came in on questions or comments? Wake up! <laughs> oh, call day. Yes, this last week uh, was call day at both of our seminaries. And um, I knew uh, several um, men from Fort Wayne that received their calls um, recognized a few from St. Louis, but uh, not many connections through the St. Louis Seminary, which is where I graduated. Um, a, a, a dear young man who has become a friend of mine, uh, A.J. Bader, Albert Bader, from Nebraska, received his call uh, back to Nebraska, which is where both sides of his family are from, so they're very happy about that. And uh, another uh, young man that I watched uh, uh, also kind of mature, uh, that uh, also received his call, as well as some uh, dear brother pastors of mine that received vicars, um, um, along with a couple of our, uh, uh, we have some connections, obviously, to Emmanuel Lutheran and Terre Haute, uh, uh, Pastor Sutton and Pastor, he filled in for vacancy, Pastor Meyer, yes, uh, so wonderful uh, parish out there, and uh, they got another vicar, and uh, and I forget the name of their vicar, wonderful young man who received his call as well. So keep Keep all those uh, men in your prayers as they finish their studies. We do need more men to be pastors. We, we've, we've got a lot of, I don't like using the word shortage because that implies that the Lord is not going to provide for us. All right, so uh, let, let's be careful how we speak. But, but what we do know is that we have probably close to half of our current clergy roster, and that's between five to 6,000 pastors, 
that will be retiring in the next 10 years. However, not all pastors, when they fully retire, fully retire. Some of them still work and desire to do that. Um, at the same time, um, I think we graduated, you know, approximately 100 uh, students or will place 100 students now from both of our seminaries, which which obviously is down. Um, my first year when I started at Concordia Seminary in 2000, uh, we had close to 150 enrolled. And I'd have to do the actual count. I've got a picture on my wall of all those who received calls and graduated. But uh, I think it was I think it was between 90 to 100 out of St. Louis. So um, not counting Fort Wayne, which I'm sure at that time had 40 or 50. So um, we certainly aren't having quite as many men go to the seminary. So young men, if, if you have any inclination or thought, if the Holy Spirit is moving you in any way to consider seminary, and let me also say not just young men, because Pastor Grady, who was a longtime member here and retired as a nurse, ended up going to seminary, um, explore that, okay? Uh, explore that, pray about that. Uh, the, the Lord will provide. I'm a second career guy, just like Pastor Grady. I didn't go through college and, and work with the plan of becoming a pastor. Uh, that happened, uh, you know, later on. So I didn't graduate from seminary till I was 30, whereas most of the, the other guys were around 25, 26. Okay. Oh, we got a question? Yes, I love questions. Oh, good question. Plans for VBS this year. Um, I'm going to defer that question. We, we have a VBS committee that is currently working on that, and they have a couple of options, and I don't want to speak for them um, in terms of what they've decided. I think now that the governor's plan was just unveiled on Friday, I'm sure they're going to be talking this week and meeting as well to decide what, what that's going to look like. Okay, um, So... Um, the, my understanding is we'll still have a VBS of some sort. When is it? When it's going to be? If it's going to be at the date that we have on the calendar, or if it's going to be a different date? If it's pushed back, uh, or if it's going to be a different format? Um, um, I, I've heard some things, but I'm not. I'm not going to overstep. I'm going to leave that for our VBS uh, uh, committee uh, to uh, let that know. So uh, we'll make sure we get that information out to you as soon as we can. Okay. Any other questions? All right. Hey. Somebody's awake out there. All right, we are on page 143 in Professor Marquardt's book, The Saving Truth, Doctrine for Lay People. Uh, this is uh, chapter 8, I believe, One Holy Church on Earth and in Heaven. And we're on page 143, the next heading, Church Government. The Christian church is a constitutional monarchy, the king himself having granted to his realm a gracious divine constitution in the Holy Scriptures. Okay. Um, I love where Marquardt goes with this. When you talk about the constitution of the church, <laughs> um, which, which can be a, a, a big, uh, uh, hairy deal, <laughs> um, Marquardt simply takes us back to the constitution of the church is first and foremost Holy Scripture, right? Which is why every Missouri Synod congregation, its very first article in their constitutions uh, is that they subscribe to the Scriptures as the inspired, inerrant Word of God, the Old Testament and the New Testament. Okay, And uh, this is our confessional subscription, that the Book of Concord, the Lutheran Confessions, are faithful exposition of Holy Scripture. Okay, So 
I like how Marquardt takes that word constitution and, and applies it to Scripture, right? And this gets back to what I've taught you before with the word mandate, and this is from Nagel, uh, Dr. Nagel and Dr. Corby, um, and, and going all the way back, Luther talked this way, you know, what does our Lord say to do? So if Scripture proscribes, then we need to pay attention to that and we need to follow that, okay? Where Scripture is silent, that's a different issue, okay? And I'm going to let Marquardt, he's going to flush this out a little bit. Only God's Word may rule in the church, not human opinion or authority of any, of any sort. So God still speaks today, okay? He doesn't speak, you know, inwardly through, uh, you know, visions and, you know, oh, I had a dream last night. My boys at the dinner table last night were talking about, you know, when they had a dream that seemed kind of like deja vu, uh, and then they had an experience, you know, in life, and they're like, oh, I dreamed about that, right? Uh, and so people over the years have taken weird things like that that have happened and said, oh, that's from God. God has given me this dream, or God has given me this vision. Nope, don't go there. How can I say that? Let me quote Scripture to you. In the past, God spoke. You know, you know this one? God spoke to our fathers through the prophets. But now in these last days, he has spoken to us through his, his son. His son who is the word, who is the logos. So where is it that Jesus speaks? <laughs> Constitution, mandate, his word, right? So uh, we don't become Pentecostals where we're seeking you know, God to give us new information or, or tell us, you know, what the future is going to hold or, or help us explain the past, right? So we don't look to dreams, you know, visions that way. Um, and, and don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that dreams and visions aren't real or in that sense that you and I don't experience things that are spiritual or extra-worldly. We live in a spiritual world. But if it's from God... What does Scripture say the Holy Spirit and even the angels will always testify to? Jesus. Jesus. His Word. You see that? And so, I, you know, I always tell the story as a kid, and I'm sorry if you've heard this one before. My dad took us to various churches to help teach us why we are Lutheran. And so we, we went to, you know, a Baptist church, went to Presbyterian, went to Methodist, went to Roman Catholic Mass, um, uh, went to a, a Mormon steakhouse, um, went to uh, a, a Pentecostal church. At the Pentecostal church, uh, it was a very simple kind of one room, and, uh, and, and they practiced speaking in tongues. Now, keep in mind, speaking in tongues literally from Scripture just means what? Speaking God's Word. Not new visions, not new revelation. Okay? It's speaking God's Word. Now, in the past... God spoke to the prophets. So even the apostles who were given special dispensation on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit appeared in tongues of fire, and they spoke in languages they did not know. But they were actual languages, not languages that don't exist. And in their speaking, what did they speak? What did they testify to? Jesus, God's Word, <laughs> law and gospel. You see that? So anyway, we're at this little Pentecostal church, and 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 some some guy is blah, 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 I mean totally not understandable, and you know and jumping around and rolling on the floor and 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 then and then he stops, and then it's just silence. 
And all of a sudden, somebody you know, raises their hand and back and says, the Spirit has given me the, the, the gift of, 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 uh, of uh, forget what the word is, um, uh, interpretation, thank you. And here's the message from the Spirit. And everybody's, you know, oh, you know, and what's the message? Sister Kathy, you've been missing your car keys for two weeks. They fell behind your bedside table by your bed. Oh, praise God, hallelujah. <laughs> I'm not joking, this really happened. <laughs> what in the world? No, that's not from the Holy Spirit. How can I say that? The Scripture says the Holy Spirit's going to testify to Jesus, not about your car keys. Now, could someone or something else give you messages about this world? You betcha. The prince of darkness. Not only the devil, but there are evil spirits. And we're told not to mess with them in any way, shape, and form. And so when we seek God out and we seek His will and we want to know what He has to say, we go here. This is our constitution, okay? Enough said. Did that prompt any questions? No? Can I get an amen? <laughs> Hallelujah. All right. I, I like those words, by the way. Okay. Um, so even this principle, however, is not as unambiguous as it may at first appear. A question dividing the Lutheran from the Reformed churches is whether the Bible, the Word of God, is a book of divine regulations or the book about Jesus Christ. So here's where Marquardt kind of clarifies lest we go too far with the word constitution, okay? Uh, the, the, the book uh, is, is about Jesus. Therefore, is the kingdom of God, to question, to be found where his law is kept or where his gospel treasures are distributed? <laughs> I like the way Marquardt asks questions sometimes. Let me read it one more time. Let's see how you answer this. Is the kingdom of God to be found where his law is kept or where his gospel treasures are distributed? Okay, we'll come back to that, but how would you answer that? as a Lutheran Christian. Of course, Marquardt continues, Christians are to grow in the newness of life and obedience to God. So yes, uh, we continue to grow in grace. We continue to, to do good works with God's help, uh, with the Holy Spirit. Uh, we overcome uh, challenges. We will never attain to you know, perfection, if you will, this side of heaven. Okay? Uh, but there is certainly the process of, of becoming more godly. And the word especially that is used in the New Testament is maturity, right? Moving on to, you know, spiritual maturity and, and growing above that, uh, growing beyond that, okay? Yet such growth comes through the gospel, not the law, Galatians 3, verse 2. Christ rules his church, his kingdom of grace, not with the law, but with the gospel. This is why the right decisions about doctrine, gospel doctrine, stand out as so central in New Testament times, and you can uh, read uh, Acts chapter 15, be a good one to meditate on this week, or Galatians 1 and 2. Uh, Luther wrote what I think is one of his best works, a commentary on the book of Galatians. And I've taught through that many times as a pastor, and at some point uh, uh, maybe we'll pick that up, uh, but his commentary on Galatians is just pure gold. Okay. And in all the truly great ages of the church, the unity and purity of the gospel proclamation, the oiangelion, Right? That is the one overriding task and concern of councils, synods, conferences, and conventions of Christ's church. Okay? Um, so keep in mind when, when the word gospel is used also in the book of Concord, um, it, it, it implies both law and gospel. Okay? So Marquardt here is not saying the law has you know, no use, 
uh, or, or the, the gospel is more important. Um, my understanding of Marquardt is saying, you know, the, the gospel as a whole, which of course is centered in Christ. And we talked about that a little today in the divine service in terms of, of uh, you know, joy and sorrow or sorrow and joy, if you want to use the law gospel type of thing, okay? And, and, and how we experience the effects of the law um, and how we are also freed from the law through what Christ has done, okay? Um, let's move on. Christ is present with the smallest possible church, the two or three of St. Matthew 18.20, and that passage simply is where two or three are gathered in my name, uh, there I am also. And in that passage there in Matthew 18, Jesus is talking about the power and authority uh, given to the church uh, to withhold sins, uh, to absolve. Uh, so this is a, a little bit of the, uh, the, the, the keys, the keys to the kingdom of heaven, the loosing key and the binding key. Even such a small church has as much spiritual authority as does a congregation of many thousands, right? Um, and, and we are still gathered together as the church even though we're not sitting in the same place together. We're doing that in our homes. Uh, we also are, are still gathering together even though not physically when you come for absolution in the sacrament, okay? And not only is it, you know, I, I told somebody a long time ago, they were lamenting the fact that, you know, uh, the pews at church weren't filled like they used to be, right? Oh, the good old days when when everybody put on their best, you know, clothes and, and the women had their hats on and, and the men all had ties and suit coats and, and everybody came to church on Sunday, right? We fall into this repristination thing. Back when I was a kid, everybody went to church. Now, maybe more people than now but everybody, you know, come on. Um, and not only that, so th- th- let, me, let me not get too far down that hole. I was talking with someone who was lamenting about, wow, there's just not as many people at church anymore. It's just so sad. And it's just not as joyful. And I looked him in the eye and I said, you do realize that when we worship together, whether there's two or three or 50 or 100 or 200, that this place is filled. And they looked at me and they went, what? What are you talking about, Pastor? Have you been, you know, uh, you've been nipping into a Voteman's bourbon again? What's going on? And I said, no, no, no. I said, heaven is opened. Where the word of God is taught and preached in its truth and purity, where the sacraments are rightly administered, the kingdom of heaven is open to you. And who and what is the kingdom of heaven? God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Read Revelation. Read the book of Daniel, okay? Go through it. The saints, the angels, all gathered around the throne. Just think. And so every time we worship together, every time you even open your, your, your Bible to, to read and to pray, what's the connection? You're connected to all people of all time, all saints, especially the ones who have gone before us. You've had some loved ones that have died that you miss? I do. And one of the things I think about every divine service um, is that here's an opportunity for me to be back in contact with them through God's word and sacraments. That's not the primary thing, but it's a great blessing. And I know that one day I will see them face to face, and I look forward to that. I know that in the resurrection, (laughs) I will also be able to give them a great big hug or right back. That's great. Okay. I have people I miss that I have died, not just church members, but family as well. I miss their conversations. I miss being with them. But I have hope because of what Scripture promises me. 
that not only is there a connection between heaven, okay, where God is, and we don't really answer where that is except word and sacrament, right? Uh, there's a connection between heaven and between earth. Uh, and, and the bridge between that is, is, is Jesus, his word and sacrament. That's a beautiful thing. So church is always full. Okay? For us as pastors, while we've had to only preach to the seven, eight, or nine, or however many people are here for the streaming services on Sunday, one of the things that, that we have emboldened ourselves and heartened ourselves with is uh, we're not just preaching to the camera. Heaven is opened. Okay? So we're, we're, we, we try and be mindful of what we do, what we say, uh, because it's not just before you and the world on YouTube. It's, it's before God and the saints. Okay? Something to think about. Questions from that? Nothing. Okay. All right. So Christ is present with the smallest possible church. Two or three of St. Matthew 18.20 equals more than one. Even such a small church has as much spiritual authority as does a congregation of many thousands. What matters is not any human chain of command, but only the Scripture's own authority, which is everywhere the same, mediated and manifested in and through His pure gospel and sacraments. Therefore, wherever the church exists, she has the full authority to be and to act as Christ's church in that place. She need not procure a franchise from some larger church structure elsewhere. Local churches are not bound to any divinely prescribed administrative or supervising structures. Okay? I had the privilege of serving as a vacancy pastor for a, a very small congregation in Nebraska, um, and they only had five members left. And it was, it was really sad because... No one else in the town, they just didn't want anything to do with the gospel. And they had a beautiful church building, and these were very five faithful members. But uh, for them, it didn't make sense to, to just, you know, keep paying the electricity and the light bills. Um, and so uh, what happened was uh, they basically, you know, uh, closed that church down. All five of them actually transferred to the congregation I was serving. That was something they desired to do. Uh, and then they gave all the, the money and the proceeds from that to help start another new mission church uh, about an hour and a half, two hours away. Um, and they had that authority, even though there was only five of them left. That was their voters' meeting. And I became their circuit visitor, or uh, not circuit visitor, a vacancy pastor uh, to help them through that process. And uh, wonderful, very dear, faithful people. And it was very kind of sad, you know, to close the church down. But at the same time, um, they also recognized that, hey, we're part of something bigger. And so it's not just about, you know, you know, our church that we love closing down. You know, the Word of God is going to continue to be preached and continue to be taught. Okay? What was most unfortunate was just that the people there in that town and that place didn't want anything to do with the truth of God's Word. That's probably hurt the most. Okay? None of this means that congregations may stand proudly apart from one another, acting indifferent to the equal dignity, duties, and responsibilities of other Orthodox congregations. And, and part of that is where the word synod comes from. Some of you, if you're new you know, to the church, might have wondered, Lutheran Church, Missouri, synod. Okay? Uh, so you, you, you kind of get Lutheran because you understand you know, the Reformation. Um, Missouri, you may not even understand that. And that just has to do that, that our denomination really began with a little over 800 immigrants from Germany uh, that sailed over from Germany, came up, uh, came up came up, the Mississippi and settled in Perry County, south of St. Louis. 
um, and, and, and that was the start of it. And then, of course, they, they joined with other Lutherans uh, that, that were, uh, you know, immigrants here in the United States as well. And so the name Missouri has been retained uh, because of those historical reasons. Um, so that, that's where Missouri comes from. But then that last word in our denominational title, synod, you're like, synod? That's just not a word that we really use anymore. Um, you, you don't really see and hear it anywhere. Uh, synod literally means sin, S-Y-N, to see together. And so the name synod is a synodical term for those who see and believe and worship together. And this is what Marquardt is talking about, that congregations stand together, okay, uh, and we pay attention to what's going on in our churches. There's equal dig- dignity, duties, responsibilities of other Orthodox congregations, okay? Of course, part of the challenge, and I know where some of you are going to go with this, and I would agree with you, is that we have become much more divided in the Missouri Synod. We no longer see together. Not all churches even use the liturgy uh, or use the hymnal as they used to. And there's been some other teachings as well. Now, again, you're always going to have divisions because we're sinners, okay? And even an earthly church, a visible church, consists of both believers and hypocrites alike. So we're always going to have that, um, but yeah, that, that becomes a challenge, okay? Um, somebody sent me a link this last week. I, I have family, you know, from ALC and LCA, uh, two Lutheran bodies that are now defunct. Well, they joined the ELCA back in 1988. So in 1988, some of these other smaller Lutheran denominations joined together and formed, uh, you know, what became the largest Lutheran denomination in the United States, the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. So I have, I have family that are still ELCA. I also have family that have left the ELCA. And I got, an, I got a, uh, an email this last week about the ordination um, of a, uh, a, f- a female um, uh, candidate uh, from seminary. And at her ordination, and this is, you can probably Google it and find it on Facebook, um, there are uh, pastors and other people dressed as drag queens, um, dressed as nuns, some of them with painted faces like they're skeletons. Uh, this was at an ordination. And so here's all these pastors that are, that are, that are vested. And, and you know, they've, they've got the albs on, you know, or the cassock, and they've got stoles, both male and female alike. And, you know, here's all of these. Uh, and I, I just, I don't, I don't even know where to begin with it. Um, it it's, it's, it's so contrary to God's word to promote, you know, that which is sinful. Um, and to fly that there in the face of God, I, I'm just going to stop right there because it just get, it gets me kind of sick thinking about it. Um, but and and one of my sons, I, I sent him the link to, and he wrote back, "How can they still be Lutheran? Because they still use the Lutheran name." I said, "Great question. You know, I guess Lutheran in name only, or what some of us pastors refer to as linos. You know, Lutheran in name only, and not really confession. And um, so, yeah." Uh, we live in the end times, folks, uh, and we're going to continue to see. I mean, how many, you know, really orthodox denominations exist anymore? Um, and that's why it's so important that we continue to stand on the truth of God's word. And yeah, the world is the world is 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 not going to love us for that. And there is going to be persecution for us to come. Younger folks, if you're watching, listen to this. You need to be prepared for that. You know, know what you believe based on Scripture. And know that that's not going to be a popular opinion as you grow up and as you get out into the world. 
okay? And I pray that you will remain faithful uh, to that. Uh, know that, that we as your pastors and other members here at Advent, that's why we do what we do. That's why we practice the liturgy. That's why we, we, we teach what Scripture says. Okay, enough about that. Did that prompt anything? Nothing. Okay. All right, you fell back asleep. Wake up! All right, here we go. So all Orthodox churches are to cultivate the utmost regard for each other. They need to cooperate in their sacred work in and for their common Lord according to each church's circumstances. So we are called to work together. Um, you know, we do that through the English district uh, that we are a part of. Um, I also uh, make it a point to meet with uh, other pastors and parishes that are part of the Indiana district uh, here as well. And so we maintain those connections. You know, we, we've got a couple of very faithful parishes, you know, Pastor Miro, uh, downtown Indianapolis. Uh, and, and you've got, uh, you know, um, our church plant uh, up here in Westfield, Epiphany. Um, and what a, what a blessing to know that the Word of God is being taught, preached, and practiced in its truth and purity in those places. You know, we got Pastor Sutton out in Terre Haute, and he's circuit visitor for uh, the Indiana West uh, uh, Circuit. Um, and, uh, and obviously, we have other connections through our family since our kids go to Lutheran High School. Um, and uh, so, you know, we continue to work on that. Think of how we partner with uh, and assist Lutheran Child and Family Services, uh, which, so that you may know, is not Missouri Synod. It's pan-Lutheran. And not only that, I would say it's pan-Christian. They have a, a number of different churches that support it for the sake of, of social reasons, right, uh, to help others. There are some things that, that take place at Lutheran Child and Family Services that I would have some theological concerns with, but why do we do that? We do that not for the sake of, of worshiping together, but for the sake of helping our neighbor. And that's a, that's a very good and God-pleasing and important thing. Okay? Questions? Nothing. Ah! Okay. I like questions. Makes me slow down. Okay, Orthodox churches owe each other mutual recognition, that is, church fellowship. Another word there is koinonia. Not external constitutions, but joint Orthodox confession of the pure gospel and sacraments forms the true external bond of church unity and fellowship. And this is kind of where our creeds, the ecumenical creeds, first developed. So the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, the Athanasian Creed, this is a statement of belief now that joined together those churches that confess that. Did you have, was there a question? You raised your hand. Scratching your head, okay. This unity is expressed and exercised basically in altar and pulpit fellowship, which can in turn involve such things as joint mission work, maintenance of seminaries and publications and the like. Such activities will usually require administrative structures devised by the church and Christian liberty for the sake of jointly pursuing the church's divinely assigned mission. So in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, our headquarters are in St. Louis, Missouri. Um, there's a building there known as the International Center. If you're ever driving through, uh, you know, stop in, you know, take a brief little tour. Um, and uh, from there, all of our joint efforts uh, for mission work, um, you know, are, are done. Uh, and also uh, oversight through our districts. Um, you know, we have our own uh, health care plan, Concordia health plans, retirement, um, and, and a number of different things. And those are all great blessings that we're able to do as a church that, that, that bands together, okay, to do those things. Um, from that, we have two seminaries here in, in the United States, uh, one in Fort Wayne, which all of you hopefully know well, um, and then we have one in St. Louis. We also are partners with other 
church bodies that have seminaries. So you've got the Lutheran Church of Canada uh, has a seminary in the St. Saint Catharines in Ontario, I believe. Um, and we've got uh, seminaries in, uh, uh, in England, in Germany, in Brazil. Obviously, I have a seminary we've been supporting, a new seminary in the Dominican Republic, uh, where uh, Pastor David Price uh, is at, and uh, uh, wonderful. And so those, those are all how the church is kind of working you know, together uh, to do those things. Okay. Such activities will usually require administrative structures. And so, you know, um, and I think one of the things we've, we've had challenges with uh, is, you know, bigger as synod doesn't, isn't necessarily always better, <laughs> you know. Uh, and I don't want to get too much into like the big government talk, right? Uh, but, you know, it's good to have some organization for that. But uh, we also have had to have, do some cutbacks uh, you know, over the past 10 years, if you pay attention to any of the synod stuff, you watch the, uh, or uh, read the Lutheran Reporter, the Lutheran Witness. And I think Pastor Harrison, President Harrison, has done a fine job, uh, uh, you know, working through those things. Obviously, all the, the, the decisions that sometimes need to be made aren't popular. <laughs> kind of like, I know some of you probably won't like uh, the reopening plan that we're going to come up with here at Advent. Uh, so, <laughs> question, yes. Yeah, so the question that just came across uh, here uh, uh, through the YouTube chat is, if you have a congregation that is sinning and doing something that is incorrect, you know, what is the process for that? Um, I, you know, first and foremost, uh, you know, the pastors or the leaders of the congregation, you know, should go and contact the pastors or the leaders of that congregation that is doing those things, right? Um, now, a lot of times this stuff is already out there in the public realm. Right, so you can watch other churches worship services. You can hear sermons that are preached. You know, it might be if if the pastor is doing something specifically on his own, it'd be good to just go have a private conversation with him. Don't go blabbing it all over Facebook. Why do I say that? Because we want to protect reputations, even if they're doing it wrong. Yeah, we do. Okay, um, start with that though, um, and if they repent, then hopefully there is, you know, public. Uh, uh, recanting, repenting of that sin, that all may hear that. Now, if they don't repent, uh, the individual or the church in that sense, you know, th- you know, then then mark and avoid. That's what Scripture says. Then mark and avoid. I've been involved in an organization called ACELC since it was formed. ACELC.net. Go to it on your website. Okay. Uh, letters were mailed to every uh, um, congregation in the Missouri Synod. Uh, this was around the time of Harrison's uh, election. We didn't know he was going to get elected. Harrison was actually involved as well on the ground floor of that. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, read the 10 error documents and tell me if there's anything incorrect in that. It identifies congregations that have been, you know, have, have, have you know, maintained, you know, false error. Um, thanks be to God, there have been congregations that have changed their ways. Uh, so, so that's one way you can, you know, join together with other churches in helping to identify uh, what that error is, okay? Now, ultimately, so let's say that, that there is sin um, or there is something that is contrary to Scripture, and I'm just going to pull a hypothetical here, okay? So let's say a pastor or a congregation starts to pray to Mary, not give thanks to God for Mary, but to believe that by praying to Mary, she will pray to Jesus for you. Or that Mary can not only hear your prayers, but also can answer them. And of course, we don't believe that. That's false. What needs to happen? Well, 
that's why we have circuit visitors. And a circuit visitor is a pastor who is in charge of anywhere from 8 to 12 parishes. All right? He oversees that. He represents the district president. So the Missouri Synod, we're divided into 35 districts. Okay? Um, our district president, Reverend Dr. Jameson Hardy, is not just called a president, he's also called a bishop. So a little bit of a, a scriptural, historical term there that he has spiritual oversight. Um, and so we have some of those structures in place then so they can go deal with that. There are congregations that uh, are no longer part of the Missouri Synod because they you know, believed they were removed or they left. Same thing with pastors. And so that's kind of the process. But what I would say is, you know, we're humans. Um, we're called to be compassionate and love one another, but we're also called to speak the truth. So try and do both. <laughs> you know, eventually, yes, the shoe will have to drop. There will either have to be a repentance and a turning away from false teaching, okay, or there then will have to be uh, some sort of, of law enacted, which is, yeah, we're not in fellowship together. Okay, follow-up question? A different question, okay. Okay, do I have suggestions for discussing uh, challenging social issues without being viewed as archaic or unloving? Well, I can't control how other, you can't control either how people are going to respond to God's Word. There will always be people that will say, oh, you know, you still believe that uh, only men should be pastors. Or you still believe that homosexuality is a sin. That's archaic. That's unloving. Right? And you say, but it says that in God's word. So, you know, always know that, that we will be persecuted, okay, just as Jesus was, just as the disciples were. You have 2,000 years of Christians that have come before you, okay, and there's nothing new under the sun. Read the book of Ecclesiastes. Sin is always sin. And, and so we still maintain the truth of that. So you can't control how people are going to respond to that. Um, what are ways that you can join together uh, in, in, in doing that? Well, one, here, <laughs> I mean, here at Advent, right, uh, you know, we join together. That's part of our confession of faith. Obviously, with the um, start of kind of the digital online word world, there's some, some really good forums, um, you know, to... Uh, to engage in some of that, okay? Uh, Facebook has a couple of good kind of confessional Lutheran groups that not all, you know, could, there's people other than confessional Lutherans kind of do engage in that. Um, uh, SteadfastLutherans.org, great website, has some great writings, uh, comments on that. Uh, that's a good place to go. Um, what was the rest of the question? What What are the ways to engage in that? You know... Not everybody has the gift to always speak and address things, right? You also should always speak within the authority that you've been given. So let's go back to what we've talked about before with, you know, are you a mother or a father? Look at Luther's table of duties. So then you make sure that your household uh, is aware of those things, right? Uh, the father is the head of the household, should teach his children the catechism, should lead prayers and devotions. Okay. In the church, the pastors, you know, then have that spiritual authority there. Um, and, and obviously, we, we serve together. So for practical things, we also have lay people uh, that uh, it's not that the pastor is above or, or, you know, they serve together and recognize different authority, uh, that sort of thing. Uh, you also have governmental authority. 
uh, that we're called to honor and to respect. So each according to his order or each according to his authority is how you should look at that. So it's not your job to necessarily, you know, be <laughs> the person that is over everybody else in the world. Okay. Um, on the other hand, you should always be ready to, to, you know, speak to the hope, the joy, and the truth from Scripture and that lives within you. So when that comes out uh, or a question arises, you know, speak and address that. But, but do it at the right time. Do it in the right place. Um, attempt to be win- winsome, but be careful of being too accommodating, right? So God's Word is still God's Word. Um, and eventually where people end up is, well, you can believe what you want and I'll believe what I want. And what we would say is, hey, Scripture is exclusive. There is only one way we are told to get to heaven, and that's through Jesus Christ. Not through the prophet Muhammad, okay? Not through Joseph Smith and some, you know, an angel that gave him special goggles to see special tablets that are buried somewhere that no archaeological dig has ever uncovered any evidence of that, okay? That's the Mormons, okay? Uh, or Jehovah Witnesses who deny that there's, there is no Trinity. So we need to speak the truth of, of God's Word clearly and not give ground on that. But, but at the same time, you know, be winsome, right? Uh, read Peter's sermon there in the book of Acts. <laughs> uh, that'd, be, that'd be a good place to go to for that. Um, you know, forums to talk about that. I gave you a few websites. Um, I think that's where we just sharpen ourselves for the apologetic task of, uh, of, of speaking God's word as we have ability to do and, uh, of course, being careful not to overstep authority in various ways. Ultimately, what's the prime authority? God's word. So if I have a couple that I'm counseling for premarital and they're living together and, you know, we won't want to get married and I say, well, first you need to repent because you're living in sin. Well, you know, we really love each other and we're dedicated to each other. Well, then you need to get married. You need to repent and get married immediately. And I'll help you with that. I'll do that. Okay. But they say, well, no, no, we don't want to have the wedding for two or three years or however long it is. You know, <laughs> then what do you want me for? Because scripture says that's sinful. So then I get accused of being an unloving, hateful pastor that just doesn't understand the current times, and so be it. But, but God's word said this is sin, and the life of a Christian is one of repentance. Now, you want to change your ways, and you need help with that, I'll help you, okay? Uh, you need a separate uh, you know, bed. You need a separate place to sleep or live for a month or two. I've got a spare bedroom at our house. I talked to my wife about it, but I'll twist her arm. You can come stay with us for a little while, okay? So we can get you married. Uh, so you've got people that can help with this. So, okay, um, people, well, you know, it's, it's not financially feasible. Well, who's your God then? Then your God is money. Then it's not the God who says, okay. I'm just using that as an example, but, you know, we, we speak to these things. Uh, we do it winsomely. We do it lovingly. Is it hard work? Yes. Are we all sinners? Yes, we are. Um, and so, you know, be patient as well, okay? Oh. <sighs> Any other questions? Those are some good questions. Okay, let's finish this paragraph and then we'll be done for today. Okay? So, none of this means that congregations may stand proudly apart from one another, acting indifferent. Rather, all Orthodox churches are to cultivate the utmost regard. They need to cooperate in their sacred work in and for their common Lord according to each church's circumstances. The last thing I'm going to say is, you know, my middle years at seminary, I... (laughs) I'm going to admit something to you you're probably not going to like to hear, and, and I, I feel bad for it, but it was the truth. 
I was ready to graduate seminary and just go start a non-denominational church. I knew God was calling me a past, calling me to be a pastor. I knew I needed that training, that education. What I didn't understand was I thought the Missouri Synod was archaic in her worship, in her structure. It's a man's world. I mean, you just go down the list, and I was all high and mighty, thought I had it all figured out. Then I got out on Vicarage, and I understood what the church is really about teaching and preaching God's Word and ministering the sacraments rightly. And Pastor Clint Poppy kept directing me back to Scripture and the confessions, and by God's grace and mercy, I, w- I was humbled. And I came back my fourth year to seminary with just a fervor uh, to serve the Lord and to serve through His church. I had a good understanding of what it meant to have a confessional subscription, which I didn't have before. And I learned that no man is an island and no church is an island either. Where we are called to be bound together, right? Read the read the book, you know, read the New Testament, read the book of Acts, see how Paul and, and Peter alike, um, how all the churches, you know, were connected, offering support of each other, pastors that were trained and sent, and we're not designed to be independent. So th- this whole I'm an independent church, you know, boy, it doesn't last. And look at history, it doesn't last. Some of these big box churches. I'm not going to name them. You know who they are. They're not going to last, folks. Not long term. Okay. Um, so let's finish up the paragraph. So not external constitutions, but joint orthodox confession of the pure gospel and sacraments forms the true external bond of unity and fellowship. This unity is expressed and exercised basically in altar and pulpit fellowship, which can in turn involve such things as joint mission work, maintenance of seminaries, publications, and the like. Such activities will require administrative structures devised by the church and Christian liberty for the sake of jointly pursuing the church's divinely assigned mission. Okay, we'll pick up with that next paragraph next week. Uh, Let's stand and close with Lord's Prayer. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Peace be with you. Amen.